Welcome into this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined once again by Colin Haas Hill, coming to you after what we thought would be a review of a Maryland game, but unfortunately, uh, just a few hours after our podcast published last week, we found out that Ohio State would not be playing at Maryland because of eight positive tests at COVID-19. And I kept thinking back about how on last week's podcast, we spent a lot of a show talking about the different things that might be reasons to worry about Ohio State's championship chances. And ultimately, I think we didn't talk about what's probably still the biggest obstacle to Ohio State competing for a national championship. And that's the fact that COVID-19 still has the potential to cancel any game to throw a wrench in this season. And that reality hit us with a harsh dose last week. Yeah, that was a weird one, wasn't it? I mean, out of nowhere, I think you were just scrolling Twitter and all of a sudden it just pops up. Maryland official Twitter account says they're canceling the game. And, and you know, it's it was just – so emblematic of 2020 where things seemed to go perfectly fine. And, you know, there were interviews that day. And then all of a sudden it's just like you pop on Twitter and there it is. And everything's done for that weekend. I know you personally had to cancel a a flight. I'm sure other people had to cancel their weekend plans, figure out what else they were going to do. And I know Ohio state did it as well. So it is, it it was so emblematic of of what this year is to me. Yeah. That really did come out of nowhere because you're right. We, I mean, we had just wrapped up interviews around 2 o'clock and the news came around 2.30. And there was no inkling of it when we were talking to the players. Like, they were just talking about Maryland as if they were going to have a game. And, and yeah, I really did. I saw it on Twitter. I hadn't heard anything. And I think it was, I think it was a Bill Landis tweet that I saw. And, it, and he tweeted something like, well, that's some news. And then I looked at it. And I'm like, oh, like, he's not kidding. That is some news. So, yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It is emblematic of 2020. And it's a reminder that we always have to stay on our toes because, you know, you, you think a game's going to happen. I mean, we've seen it in some of these other conferences. I mean, there's been games that have been canceled on Friday. So you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to keep proceeding forward like Ohio State's going to play Indiana this week and every week Ohio State's scheduled to play a game. That's the way we're going to proceed forward. But the reality is you just don't know how many games Ohio State is going to ultimately end up playing this season. And that's really weird. Do we, do we, so, so you mentioned um, off the jump right at the beginning, you said, you know, one of the things that is going to be, you know, most important for Ohio State uh, or or the biggest obstacle for Ohio State possibly is, is COVID-19. And I think that that's an interesting comment because I think that that's, you know, on one sense, on one hand, that's true. On the other hand, like, it was weird because, you know, there's a lot of disappointment, completely reasonable disappointment about Ohio State not playing this weekend. But I don't really think that not playing the game affected almost anything going forward. I mean, everything is intact. As long as Ohio State wins out, they'll be in the Big Ten Championship. As long as they win out, they'll make the college football playoff. I mean, it's this weird thing where, you know, Ryan Day really wanted to play, and he made that clear on Tuesday when he talked to the media. You know, he wanted he wanted a chance for for his players to, you know, get into a rhythm and and respond to you know the the lackluster second half they had against Rutgers. They didn't really get a chance to do that, but everything is intact. Are you are you there with me on that? 
Yeah, I agree with that. It It's more just for the fact that we still don't know what's going to happen. Like, I think it's a reminder. Like, I think for the first three and a half weeks of a season, I kind of allowed myself to just pretend like everything's normal and it's just a normal season. And I think that was a reminder of it. It's still very much not. And, like, I do agree with you with all of that. But I do think there's less margin for error now. And not that, not that I think there was much already to begin with, but, you know, I, I think you couple – I mean, this – one thing I, I, I feel very, very confident in at this point, between the game being canceled and the fact that most of the teams on Ohio State's schedule this year have been terrible this season, is I think if Ohio State loses, its playoff chances were over. That was how I felt initially when we found it it was going to be an eight-game season. I kind of backed off of that once the season got going. But now I'm back at the point that I think if Ohio State doesn't win out, it's just not going to playoff. Yeah, I think that that's really hard. I mean, I mean, if it, I think that's so hard because at this point, it's just things have been so weird in college football that I just it's hard for me to say anything definitively. But I do agree with with one thing, and your general point is Ohio State has, is is going to be supposed to smash every single team it plays. Like, there, if Ohio State loses, it's not going to be a game against a team that's equal to them. It's going to be a game that they should absolutely win. And I think that that's the interesting thing about this this year more so than any is we're about to preview the Indiana game. And Indiana is supposed to be Ohio State's toughest test of the regular season. And even that game, which is a top-10 matchup, Ohio State's favored by 21 points. This is just such a, such a weird, weird year that I, I understand your point. I just think it's hard to make that declaration right now where if, if something were to go wrong that, that, that they aren't going to be able to get in. I, I, I think you know, more so than anything, like Gene Smith talked about before the season, I think the eye test is going to matter this year. And I think that you know, the resumes, of course, will matter as well. I just think that the eye test is going to be a big deal. And, and it's, you know, it's just hard for me to, to, to really take a stance on that. I, I, I think this year, more than anything, it's just like I'm just ready for whatever. And I don't really want to rule anything out. I think that I, I think that Ohio State should win every single game, and it's and it would be weird if they don't. And I, and I think that that's sort of that's where I understand your point is because like, what game are they going to lose? Like, how do you get in if you lose? You, you can't really get in if you lose to Indiana, and you don't make the Big Ten title game. And then if you lose to somebody else, like who are you losing to? Like Michigan? Like. I, I don't really know who you're losing to in that instance. So, so it is weird, I guess, if you look at it specifically to, to the games that are remaining on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all a fair point that, you know, it, it is. It's, it's hard to come to any definitive conclusions about this year because it's also different. And honestly, I'm really fascinated to see a week from now what the first CFP rankings look like because I really have no idea what they're going to look like. And, you know, I – it's going to be interesting. Like I'm really interested to see like where BYU and Cincinnati are, like how the committee's going to factor in those teams. And I think we'll have an idea next week of whether those teams are going to have a chance, but you know, the committee, I mean, I don't envy the job they have this year because to have to compare a bunch of teams that are playing different schedules 
and are mostly only playing conference games. So it, it makes it so much harder to compare conferences against each other, teams against each other. They've got a really tough job. I think certainly, you know, for their sake, you know, if Alabama goes undefeated, if Ohio State goes undefeated, that makes their job a lot easier because I think it's easy to put those two teams in if they're undefeated. But I don't know. I, I don't know what you would do. You know, if, if there's no undefeated team in the Big Ten, I don't know what you do with the Big Ten. Uh, to me, I think that would very widely open the door for the Big Ten not to get a team in the fourteen playoff. But it's going to be interesting to see if they do. I just think if you're Ohio State, your mindset has to be just win every single game. Because I think, like you said, I mean, Ohio State shouldn't lose any game. And, and here's the reason why I said what I said. Because here's the way I look at it. If you look at their regular season schedule now, I mean, Maryland could legitimately end up with the second best record of any of the teams they were scheduled to play in a regular season. So if they lose a regular season game, that means you either lose this week to Indiana, who's the only team on your schedule that's going to be ranked in those CFP rankings next week, or you lose to a team that's horrible. So that's why I just don't think Ohio State can lose a game, and I think they've, they've got to win every week. Yeah, and you know what's funny is like the one team, and we'll talk about this with Indiana, I think Indiana is a, a legitimately, you know, I think they're a good team. I think they're a good Indiana team. I don't think Indiana is, uh, you know, even Michigan, when Michigan really had it rolling a few years ago, or, or Penn State, but I think Indiana's good. I think Wisconsin you know, if we want to really look ahead, like Wisconsin's the one Big Ten team I would be absolutely fascinated to see Ohio State play. And the tough thing is, it's like, <laughs> we've barely even seen Wisconsin. So like, I was talking, I was ta- I remember I was talking last week before they played against Michigan. I was like, I was asked, you know, who do I think is the second best team in the Big Ten? And I was like, I think it's Wisconsin. But I also feel like I only think that because I've only seen them play once. So they've only had one chance to lose. And in this Big Ten, I just think it, I, I, it's hard for me to really wrap my head around what's going on. But yeah, I can get on board with that. And, and, you know, the weird thing is, it's like this schedule sucks. Like, like this schedule is so bad. Like I'm just looking at it right now. Like we were talking about Penn state and Penn state, you know, having a potential, potentially legitimate, you know, offense. And, you know, that was a decent test for Ohio State on both sides of the ball. Penn state, it turns out is terrible. You know, we saw them play against Nebraska. Like, what are we going to do? Say Nebraska is good. Nebraska is not good. They played against Rutgers. Like, these are just three really bad teams. That's why, like, an incremental step up against Maryland would have been, you know, an interesting game. And yet, you know, as, as Ohio State rolls into this week against Indiana, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick Ohio State to win fairly comfortably, and it's just based on what we've seen through three games. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, like, the consensus opinion on this upcoming game against Indiana is, I mean, they're, Ohio State's favored by three touchdowns, and – most people think the Buckeyes are going to win fairly comfortably. And that wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know that I'm quite as confident in that as some people are because, I mean, the teams Ohio State has played so far this year have won two combined games. So, like, we think Ohio State is really, really good, but we really don't know that at this point because Ohio State really hasn't played anybody. Yeah, you're basically going off – you know, a few things. I mean, the, the first thing is just like, how am I supposed to say that Justin Fields is going to lose a game? <laughs> like, am I supposed to believe that Indiana Hoosiers are going to be Justin Fields, Chris Olave, and Kerry Wilson? Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to say it with a straight face. So that's sort of the number one thing that I, I just really can't get over. And I know Michael Pang is just good. I was 
high on Indiana before the season. I still think that Justin Fields is better than Michael Penix in Indiana. It's like, that's the number one thing with this game. But, you know, it's a fascinating game in that we don't really see this that often. Like, we don't see a team like Indiana rise up and challenge Ohio State as a top 10 opponent. That doesn't really happen. Like, when we, we see typically Ohio State, you know, play a Michigan that's a top 10 team, play a Penn State that's a top 10 team. But, you know, those teams this year are jokes. Like, Indiana is legit. And the issue with Indiana right now is, and I think that this is what a lot of people are wondering, is like, how legit is Indiana? Like, how legit are they as an entire unit? Because they're not plucky Indiana this year. They're top 10 Indiana. And like, do we really think that a top 10 Indiana team is like a top 10 Michigan team, a top 10 Penn State team? Because technically, you know, if you look at the recruiting rankings, if you look at the talent on the roster, they maybe aren't as talented. But does that, you know... Do we do we look at that as much this year? I, I I think in I think in 2020 this year when you you know you have an abbreviated off season when when everything is so weird, I think that something's to be said for for a team that just gets rolling and a team that you know believes in itself as much as Indiana clearly does. And I think that that's the thing that makes it interesting. Indiana believes that it can win, and it's also it, it sort of has everything going. It has the plucky underdog thing. It has a talented quarterback. It has a lot of returning starters. It's an interesting matchup, and at the end of the day, there's just one team with Justin Fields, and I'm going to say that every single week because it's the single thing I go back to, and it's like, you know, we're going to talk a lot about Indiana and what they have, but Ohio State is Justin Fields, and it's just like until I see Justin Fields make a mistake, I don't really understand how I'm supposed to pick against this offense. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, we were actually – one of the questions we got this week was about what you mentioned there, about the recruiting and talent advantage of Ohio State versus Indiana and that's there I mean it's absolutely still there in terms of the talent Ohio State has built up versus Indiana's talent I think I think Indiana's recruiting has gotten better under Tom Allen but still across the board Ohio State is a more talented team at just about every position so on paper Ohio State should have a clear advantage in this game and you know what I said about Ohio State applies to Indiana too because Indiana hasn't played a team that's won more than one game yet this season either. So Indiana has mostly beat up on bad teams. And, you know, those have been some, you know, there's been some close games there, you know, especially the Penn State game. That was an overtime game where Penn State kind of let them back into it. And then Indiana, you know, won it in overtime, uh, two point conversion, Michael Penix stretching out from goal line. Now, granted, I think Penn State was a better team then than they are now. Cause I think Penn State's gotten to a point that they're, they're so defeated that, that they're, you know, I think, I think that was a bigger win then than, than it would be now. But still, you know, we haven't really seen Indiana play anybody. So if Ohio State makes this a lopsided game, it wouldn't surprise me. And, you know, I, I, I think if you're Ohio State, I mean, the most important thing is just winning. But, you know, I think in terms of that greater playoff conversation too, like I think it would help Ohio State to go out and really dominate this game and have a statement win because you're until that, you know, I, I, I agree with you on Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's most likely the second best team in the big 10. I think Ohio state will most likely play Wisconsin in the big 10 championship game, Though Wisconsin's really teetering on the edge. Now, if it has one more game canceled, it wouldn't be big 10 championship game eligible. But I think if that matchup happens, I think Wisconsin is, the most likely team to give Ohio state a real challenge. But I think until then, 
you know, because Michigan is so down this year, I think Indiana this week really is like Ohio State's opportunity to have a statement kind of performance. And I don't know if it necessarily needs that because if it goes undefeated, it might not matter. But I think if, if there's an opportunity to, to really make a statement, you know, this would be the week, you know, and you've had, you know, an extra week to prepare, you know, that should hypothetically, you know, give you an advantage in preparation, though, as Ryan Day said on Tuesday, it takes you out of your rhythm. But, you know, it's like you said, I mean, it, it is, it's 2020, weird things happen. I do think Indiana has a very real sense of belief. I think just hearing Tom Allen and hearing the way they talk, I think they do have a very real sense of belief that they can compete in a game like this. And I don't know if they will, you know, you know, belief only matters so much at the end of the day, talent is going to make the difference. But I do think it's one of those games that Ohio state's going to have to execute because we've seen it from Indiana. And it's a team that has 12 takeaways in four games. And, you know, those turnovers have really been a big factor in Indiana's success. Now, you could look at that and say, well, maybe that's an indicator they're not as good as their record indicates because they're getting a little bit lucky. But at the same time, it also shows this is an opportunistic team that's going to take advantage if you make mistakes. So I think, you know, playing clean football is going to be an even bigger point of emphasis than usual for the Buckeyes this week. Which is funny because that's that I feel like I feel like playing clean football is one of those things Ryan Day brings up time and time again. He does. That, you know, nobody ever really talks about him bringing up. Like, that's one of his things. It is. Like, he, it, it was an Urban Meyer thing, and that's one of those things Ryan Day has kept. Like, he really harps on turnovers, interceptions, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, it's, <laughs> it's good for him to have a guy who's, you know, thrown three interceptions in a year and a half as a starting quarterback. Uh, that that's that's a positive for him but you know Dan I, I was just looking at the the talent composite on 247 have you done this yet have you looked at what Indiana has on its roster I mean I know what its roster looks like I haven't looked at for you know do, so so 247 does this thing where you know for anyone who doesn't know where they look at all the players on the roster and what they were as what they were ranked as recruits where do you think Indiana is in the big 10 well, I'm going to guess they're behind at least Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. I'll guess that Iowa might be ahead of them too. I'm going to say they're like 7th or 8th. This shocked me. They're 13th. Oh, wow. Yeah, they are, at, they are behind every team but Rutgers, and they're barely ahead of Rutgers. They don't have a single five-star on the roster. They have five four-stars on the roster. The rest of the team is three stars and two stars, and that's it. Ohio State, for example, has 14 five-stars and 52 four-stars. When we talk about the talent discrepancy on the field, like this is, this, is, this is sort of what we mean. And I think that, you know, I think that that's why, this, that's why this Indiana program and this Indiana team is interesting to me. Because, like, a team that's 13th in the talent composite is supposed to suck. Like, you're not supposed to be a good team when, when, when you can't recruit like that. And I think that that goes back to a couple things. Like, number one – that goes back to Tom Allen and the kind of job that he's done because he's not supposed to have this team right now. He really isn't. This team is not supposed to be this good, but they clearly buy in. And also, you know, this is a veteran team with a veteran quarterback with veteran guys at skill positions that return nine starters on defense. 
And I think that that sometimes makes up for talent deficiencies. And that's where, you know, you're talking about being opportunistic and all that. I think that's the, that's the kind of thing that, that is actually affected by that. When you have a team that has been around, you know, been in games against Ohio State, it's not the first time that they're ever going to be at Ohio Stadium. Like, that kind of stuff to me matters. And that's, what, that, that's what's interesting to me about this game. Like, they're a little Michigan State in that way. Like they're 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 not a, they're not a Michigan or a Penn State because when those two teams play Ohio State close in the past, it's because those two teams are talented and they're not like an Iowa or Purdue because Iowa and Purdue came out of nowhere. But Michigan State, you know, it was built in a way that you know you Mark D'Antonio clearly, you know he he clearly found guys who were under the radar and developed them and and relied on you know his veterans and made something out of nothing. And like, that's to me what Indiana aspires to be. And to be honest, like this is their first test of, you know, can they, can they actually make something of a close game or is this just going to be a normal Ohio state Indiana matchup, which yes, sometimes they've been a little bit close, but Ohio state's basically won every single time for, for decades now. I'm suddenly thinking back on all the talent versus coaching Twitter debates from the off season. <laughs> oh, were there enough of those? There were, there were, there were a lot. And I can think, uh, I think some of the big 10 results this year uh, might be good fodder for the coaching side of that argument. If you, if we're talking about Indiana versus Michigan and Penn state, especially well, what you just yeah, brought two, up. three and four Penn state, Michigan and Nebraska. So congratulations to those teams. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it's, it's, it's a credit to Tom Allen and what he's building there. You know, I think, you can see that Tom Allen, I mean, you can just see that, you know, his players love him. He loves his players. There's a lot of buy-in in that program right now. And, and I think it's a credit, you know, to them. And, you know, the reality is success is going to start to breed success on the recruiting trail. If Indiana can keep this up, you know, they're, they're going to be able to improve their standing in recruiting. But, you know, for right now, it's really impressive that they're having the kind of success that, they are having considering that the only team that they're more talented than on a recruiting standpoint is Rutgers. Yeah, it, it is a fascinating team. So Dan, like we've, we've had a chance to to watch Indiana a little bit. Um, and we certainly got a chance unexpectedly considering we weren't actually watching Ohio state this weekend. You know, what sort of stands out about them and, and what do you think is going to be the most dangerous aspects of them when they come to Columbus this weekend? You know, the weird thing about it is, like, I think that's kind of a thing about this matchup, is like there isn't really one thing about Indiana that really stands out that much. Like they're a 4-0 and team, but if you look at their, you know, statistics on both sides of the ball, like they've been a pretty average team on both offense and defense. It's just, it's not as if they've been really dominant in one area. I think, you know, the takeaways stand out, you know, they've been very opportunistic in that regard, but I don't think there's any one area of their team that is really, you know, phenomenal. I think they're just kind of solid all around. You know, I think uh, their defense has definitely improved. You know, I think they're, they're playing well on that side of the ball so far this year. You know, I think offensively, you know, I think Michael Penix is a really, really good player. Uh, I think, you know, the receivers, you know, Ty Freifogel has had something like 320 receiving yards in the last two games. So he's a dangerous receiver. Uh, Watt Fillier is a player who's uh, been around for a while and he's dangerous too. So I, I think this will be one of a better 
tests of the year, especially since we didn't get to see them play Maryland, who I thought maybe would have been the biggest test of the regular season for Ohio State secondary. I think Indiana might be that now, you know, with the receivers it has in, in the way Penix is playing. Now, you know, I think the reality is it kind of goes back to what you said before is Michael Penix is not Justin Fields. Like, let's not overhype him here. Like, he's played well, but, you know, he, he's not Justin Fields. I mean, he's, you know, people talk about his athleticism, and he is, and he is a guy you have to contain, but he's also not a guy that really runs for a lot of yards. You know, he, you know, he's a guy who can extend plays. You know, he's got some ability to make plays outside the pocket. And that's always dangerous. But, again, I really think a lot of this, as I've harped on so much, is a lot of this is just going to go back to the secondary and how well they're covering receivers. Because if you look at Indiana's running game, they've been pretty subpar in a running game. So I don't really have much worry about Ohio State being able to stop the running game. I think Indiana is going to have to get creative with Penix and use him a little bit more in the running game if it really wants to get going on offense here. I know Indiana's offensive line is pretty mediocre too. So I think, you know, this is an opportunity for the defensive line. You know, I think they were great against Penn State. They were meh against Rutgers. I think this is an opportunity for them to, you know, really kind of step up here, you know, that front seven. And again, I think a lot of it just goes back to wanting to see the strides from the secondary that maybe we haven't quite seen yet this season. By the way, your your description of, of what Watt Fillier is was so perfectly Big Ten, which is like he's been around a while, <laughs> which is like it's true. And also it's pretty descriptive of him. Like he's a good player. He's been around a while. He might be a late round big. Yeah, you never know. You never know. But, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're an interesting group because I think I've said it on last week's show. I think Ohio State's front seven and run defense has been awesome this year. And I think it will continue to be awesome largely because like they have two guys in the middle who are just incredible penetrators and Haskell Garrett and Tommy Toad guy. And I think their defensive ends have been solid in that regard too. I think Tyler Friday and, and Jonathan Cooper in particular have been good against the run. And then you have, you know, a quartet of linebackers and, and Warner Borland, Browning and Hilliard, who I think are really solid against the run. So, so that to me, like you, like any of his run game just really doesn't scare me in general. And I also think Ohio State's just going to shut that down. And that's where, like, this is the Michael Penix test. I was fascinated by him last year and I really wanted to see Ohio State against him. And, and we obviously didn't get a chance to see that. And it was a boring blowout, which it turns out to half of Ohio State games <laughs> usually are. But I think Michael Penix versus Ohio State secondary is the interesting part because, you know, for all of the crap that Ohio State secondary has gotten, like almost none of it is, except for Sean Wade, is through the air. Like Sean Wade has given up three touchdowns, and you know, I you know he he deserves he deserves to to at least have people looking at him to to play better because at least on on a couple of those, you know that you made it look a little bit too easy but the other guys like I think seven banks has been pretty good like I think Marcus Williamson has been solid like he he got caught off you know he he I think it was in the season opener he took a he took a step backward and then you know he got juked out and like I still remember that play but oh he's been solid ever since um I think Josh Proctor's been really really good I think Marcus Hooker has been fine against the pass it's just his issues tackling are, are you know the number one thing that stands out so I'm fascinated to see this team against an actual competent um, passing game 
which I think is what we're going to see. And, and that's the part where is the big unknown to me because I, I feel like I know what this team is when it defends the run. I don't really know what it is yet when it defends the pass. And, and also when the defensive ends can get after the, the get after the quarterback, because I think they've been fine in that regard so far. But I think a lot of that pressure has come up the middle. I think this is going to be a game where, you know, it's going to be important for them to, to pressure Penix. Yeah. And I don't even mean the secondary has been bad necessarily. I just, I still think that's the biggest question mark on the team. And I think, I think this will be the biggest test for the air that Ohio State has faced this season. Yeah, I don't even think that that's, that's debatable. I think until – unless you get, you know, Graham Mertz in the Big Ten title game, I think it'll probably be the best secondary they face until the vaunted uh, college football playoff. Well, I mean, David Portnoy did say Joe, Joe Milton was better than Justin Fields after week one. So they've got that, that scary Joe Milton matchup coming up in a few weeks. It's your favorite tweet of favorite tweet of this fall. Yeah, I just yeah, it was just it was a classic overreaction to one game. Uh to say that just Joe Milton was better than Justin Fields, and now there's talk about Michigan potentially making a quarterback change this week. So I think it's safe to say Joe Milton is not better than Justin Fields. To follow up on something you said, Soul Patrol 32 asks, do the Buckeyes spy Michael Penix on Saturday to limit his running ability? I know he doesn't have a lot of yards this year but he appears quite mobile and that has hurt defense when the quarterback takes off. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I don't know if they need to spy him. You know, I think a lot of it's going to be, you know, just containing him. You know, I think like, like you just said, Colin about uh, the defensive ends, I think it's going to be a really important game for them to try to keep him in the pocket, to try to keep him from extending plays because they, they do prefer to use him as a passer than as a runner. And I think, I do expect them to get more creative with him as a runner this week because I think they're going to have to. But I also don't think that he's such a running threat that, you know, it needs to be A1 in the defensive game plan. I mean, it's certainly I think it's something you need to be aware of. But, you know, I think really a lot of it's just going to come down to being sound fundamentally up front. And, and I, think, I think Ohio State can – I think Ohio State can play its defense in this game. I don't think I don't think there's any particular threat in this game that is going to force Ohio State to to drastically, you know, change what it does to to focus in on one thing. I think the real key in this game is going to be just playing sound within its defensive scheme and, and be prepared to make adjustments, you know, because, I mean, we, we, we saw it in the last game against Rutgers and, and you'd think Indiana is going to know going into this game, you know, now is when we've got to unleash the kitchen sink. If we want to keep winning to beat Ohio state now is when we've really got to get creative. So I'm sure Indiana is going to have some different looks this week that we haven't seen yet from, from the Hoosiers on film, but there isn't anything to me that, jumps out at me to where I think Ohio state's got to really lock in on one thing in order to stop the Hoosiers. If you look at Michael Panix's yards, you know, he has technically negative two rushing yards, but even if you look at just the yards that he's gained, he's gained 31 yards, but he also has a 25 yard run. So outside of that one run, he's gained six yards through four games on the ground. So I just don't think that that's going to be something that 
that Ohio State fans really need to worry about. On the other side of the ball, you know, what stands out about them? And is there anything different that we can expect other, other than Justin Fields, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson shredding the defense as they have done through three games? And, you know, a running game that is solid but unspectacular because I feel like that is sort of the theme of all three games. Yeah. To be honest, I haven't really studied the Indiana film enough to be like, this really stands out about its defense. But if the question is, do I expect Justin Fields to suddenly look like a mere mortal in this game? No, I really don't. I mean, I, I think Justin Fields and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are probably going to continue to play the way they've played all year. Like you said, I think, you know, the running game has just been average. So I think you'd like to see them take a step forward. You know, I know one thing Ryan Day has talked a lot about this week is how Indiana likes to uh, have a lot of different looks on defense and likes to find different ways to be aggressive and come at you. So I think it will be a test for the offensive line in that regard, especially inside. You know, we've seen Ohio State's interior offensive line have some trouble. So I think if I was Kane Womack, the – Indiana defensive coordinator you know I'd probably be looking to run some stunts run some inside blitzes to try to take advantage of you know potentially a weak spot in Harry Miller potentially some of the issues that Ohio State's had on the inside but I'd be really surprised if the passing game suddenly takes a big step back this week because I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson is better than anyone in Indiana's secondary and yeah, I think Indiana, you know, they might be a little more capable of getting some pressure than some of these other teams, but not to the extent that I think it's going to really rattle Justin Fields. I don't have a freaking clue how a team is supposed to stop this offense, and I certainly know it's not going to be Indiana. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's what I keep coming back to with this game is, yes, what if there's one really good cornerback you have and he locks down Chris Olave? Okay, well, then it's – Garrett Wilson, Jeremy Ruckert. Maybe we see a little bit more Jameson Williams, Jets, and Smith and Jigba. There are too many good guy, good pieces on this offense that I, and, and until Ohio State really faces a team that is equally talented, and even then, I really don't really know that they're going to be stopped. Maybe slowed down slightly. I just think that this offense is going to continue rolling, and I think that there are slight areas of concern. Um, I don't even really know. I, I, I would call left guard and Harry Miller a concern right now. I think that he has to play better going forward. I think there were some good points made today on Tuesday as we talk from Ryan Day and Josh Myers, which were, you know, he's young. He's in his second year. He's really smart. Like he's someone who you think can learn and develop during a year. And I think that there's something to that. Like the man stayed at high school because he wanted to be a valedictorian. He didn't want to enroll early at Ohio State because he wanted to do that. Like, that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. So, yeah, I think his first three starts haven't been great. I don't think that the week off was the worst thing in the world for Harry Miller. Like, I think that this was a chance to take a step back, evaluate, see what went wrong, and respond. And, and I'm, I'm intrigued by, you know, if we see a step forward with him. Because I really thought that his second game was a lot better than his first, and then his third game was just really bad. Josh Myers in the same way. Like Josh Myers, I thought it was the worst game of his career against um, Rutgers. I'm interested to see how Indiana attacks those two side by side. But outside of them, like, what's a weak spot on this offense? <laughs> like, that's the key. That's the thing. That's the thing. I, I, I'm just not sure. Are you going to blitz Justin Fields? Because I feel like 
you know, half of the blitzers who come free against Justin Fields, he manages to spin and then either run for a first down or throw down the field for 20 yards. Like there hasn't been anyone close to stopping the so the Ohio State offense. It's 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 really something incredible to watch. We were asked a question by Minbuck, and he started out his question with gratuitous hot take Michigan is terrible. That aside, is this for week Ryan Day green lights Justin Fields in a running game? If not, will we see it unleashed before a playoff? And then he added what I'm guessing is probably a sarcastic comment about please include a comprehensive discussion of Justin Fields' veganism in your answer. But to go back to the actual question, I don't think Ryan Day needs to green light Justin Fields in the running game this week because of what we were just talking about. And I don't know if he needs to needs to unleash that before the playoff. You know, I I I think I think it's one of those things that all year, you know, it's going to be kind of a use it when you need it. You know, maybe that's a quarterback sneak on fourth and one, or, you know, maybe you, you see something in the, in the defense on a particular play where you think you're going to have an opportunity uh, for Justin to make a big play of his legs. But I think for the most part, the way this passing game is clicking right now, there's really not a lot of reason or need to be calling many designed runs for Justin Fields because if anything, you're just putting him in harm's way. And I think against most of these defenses, you're just not going to need him to do that much. Yeah. I think that like, it's, it's funny because you, if you look at the stat sheet, Justin Fields just really hasn't run nearly as much in the last two games as he did in the season opener, but also like he basically hasn't thrown incompletions. <laughs> so so part of that is everything down the field has worked. So like if you're taking things down away down the field, then all of a sudden he gets into that. So you know, it, it, that's that's the scramble part of it and the other part, you know, when you're talking about green lighting him in the run game, that's green lighting him in the designed run game. And I don't really think that that part of it is going to come into play before the playoff or before maybe you really need it like in a Big 10 title game against someone. But I, I, I don't know. I think you could see him scramble a little bit more. I just wouldn't expect him to be doing many 16 rush games going forward. No, no, I, I don't think so. And, you know, it is, it's kind of funny. I think back to like a few weeks ago after that, and like there was so many questions about running Justin Fields too much and panic over that, and we haven't really seen it much recently. So I'm, I'm sure there's times that it's going to be unleashed, but I don't, you know, I don't think there's any real need to do it when, when you don't need to do it. You know, I think if the situation calls for it, I don't think Ryan Day is going to be afraid to use Justin Fields as a runner because that's not the way Ryan Day coaches. I just think right now the way the passing game is clicking, there's just not really that much of a need to do that. Yeah, and they've also been trying to get the running backs involved more in the run game, trying to get something out of them, get them to turn yes, they should. a corner, like turn a literal corner. That would be helpful sometimes. Um, by the way, you mentioned his quarterback sneaks. Like, I think he might be the best quarterback sneaker I've ever seen. <laughs> he is, he is very, very good at it. And it helps to have Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis and Harry Miller, who, you know, for, for some of their flaws, they've been really good when they've been called upon to do quarterback sneaks, but that man just has a knack. He has a knack for knowing where to go with it. And I felt like I needed to make that point. As a native New Englander, I, I've got to, I've got to go with Tom Brady on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I can't actually make a good case for him to be the best ever, but I'm just saying he's really good. For a man who 
is not nearly as athletic as Justin Fields. Tom Brady said had a lot of quarterback sneaks in his Patriots career. But I you're right. Ask, he is very good at it. Yes, I want to ask. You know, just take a. I just want to take a step back for a second. Look at the Big Ten for a second, because I think that this isn't this game is comes at a really interesting moment in the Big Ten. Because I don't have a freaking clue what's going on in this conference. I don't understand what's going on this year. And maybe more interestingly, I don't really know what's going on going forward. Because, you know, for the last, what, I don't know, half decade longer, I'm just thinking about, like, the the, the Urban Meyer era. Like, it was Penn State and Michigan every single year. You could at least count on them being top 15 teams, even if they weren't going to be, you know, a national title contender every single year. You could count on them being ranked being intriguing opponents. You know, when Indiana is the second best team in the Big Ten East, and Michigan just, oh gosh, you turn on their games and it's like, what is happening on the field? And Penn State can't beat anybody. Like, what does this say about the long-term future of the Big Ten East? And who is going to be Ohio State's rival? Because if you look at the, if you look at Michigan, like, I'm not really sure that Jim Harbaugh is going to be there next year. And if you look at Penn State, like what is what what about Penn State would make you say next year, you know, maybe they don't have it this year, but next year they're really going to turn it on. Like they just they don't have a they're going to miss out on all the top 10 guys in the 2021 recruiting class. Like things are going poorly on the field and off the field for them right now. And you know, they've got an intriguing 2022 recruiting class. Like for the next few years, is it just going to be like Ohio State and nobody else? It's a confusing time for me. <laughs> You're cutting hard into my three things we think right now. Oh. In regards to your question, I don't know. I, mean, I, I really don't. I really don't think there's any team in the Big Ten that's anywhere close to being poised to really challenging Ohio State anytime soon because of what you just mentioned. I mean, it's we we've talked in the off season about the gap between Ohio State and everyone else and how you know that gap widening between Ohio state and Penn state and Michigan. And it's clearly gotten wider. I mean, it's clearly pretty wide right now with the way those teams are struggling. And again, you look at a team like an Indiana, that's doing well, you know, obviously for Indiana to be a serious challenger to Ohio state long-term, you can't be 13th in the big 10 in composite talent. You, you've got to start getting some bigger wins on the recruiting trail. And that's a, a huge bridge for a team like, Indiana to make that jump so it's tough I mean I I really don't think there is a team in the Big Ten right now that is well positioned to challenge Ohio State long term and and I think you know the Buckeyes are really well positioned to continue being the dominant team in the conference year in and year out you know and I think so what do you think that's gonna Matt what what do you think that's gonna do to the conference long term because I think that that's an interesting thing because you're right. I just like when I look up and down specifically like the Big Ten East, like here are the standings from top to bottom. It's Indiana, who is like an intriguing team, a good team, a veteran team, a team that doesn't have a ton of talent that's a top ten team and 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 you know is right now right there with Ohio State at, at the top of the Big Ten East. I'm not really sure what Indiana is in the long term. Like Indiana at its best is probably Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State we don't really know that they're going to get there. Like you need to, at least you need to compete for a playoff spot before we anoint you that. And then it's like Maryland, like Maryland is like, it's in, I don't know. Maryland's not going to be the next Michigan state. Michigan is like, 
I don't really see Jim Harbaugh being the coach there next year. And, and what does that mean for them? Like, does that set them back a few years? I mean, it's hard to imagine it not like Michigan state is just at the beginning of a reload and it, it's not a reload. It's a complete rebuilding. Rutgers is Rutgers. Like who knows with them. And then Penn state, it's just like, they're Owen four. Like, I don't really know what that says about James Franklin and his future. I imagine he's going to be perfectly fine there for at least the next couple of years, but I'm not really seeing them as being a national title contender at all. And, and you know, the, over the next couple of years, the way they were, the, you know, the recent past. And I don't really know what that does for the big 10 when it just feels like Ohio state in the future. And maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe Indiana comes into Ohio stadium and changes my entire opinion on this on Saturday. I don't really know what that does for the Big Ten if Ohio State's supposed to beat every single team by 21 or 28 points for the next three or four years before someone, you know, gets some traction and starts recruiting at least in a vicinity close to Ohio State and, you know, performing up to expectations. I mean, I just think in a broader sense, like, to be completely honest, like, I don't think it's good for college football right now that you've got two teams in Ohio State and Clemson that are just, you know, clearly – tiers above the rest of their conference and you know Notre Dame Notre Dame is not a permanent member of the ACC so that's why I say that right now obviously Notre Dame beat Clemson they're a top two team right now if Notre Dame decides to join the ACC permanently then that could be a big boost for the ACC but to me that's kind you're kind if you take Notre Dame out of that equation you're kind of seeing the same thing in both of those conferences right now where you've got one team that's just so far above everybody else that they're expected to win and win big week week in and week out. And I I, I think, you know, it, it's hard. Like, I, it's hard to I – mean, for one, 2020 is such a weird year, but it feels weird to make, like, any generalizations about anything this year. But I do think that, you know, I, I, I think it's hard because I think you even see it in the Ohio State fan base that – I think there's less enjoyment of the actual season now because it's all just so focused on can we beat Clemson? Can we beat Alabama? Because those are the only two teams that are actually supposed to compete with Ohio state. So it, I think it makes it it hard. I think it does take something away from the season when there isn't a team that is really viewed as a team that should be able to contend with Ohio state for division titles. I think, it makes it more interesting when you have that. And I do think there's an interesting element in terms of the entire conference with Wisconsin. I think if Wisconsin can run the table against a big 10 championship game, you know, Wisconsin's been Wisconsin, but I do think, you know, with Graham Mertz with a passing game, I do think there's an intriguing element there for this year, but we have seen, you know, typically Ohio state's been in that tier one and Wisconsin's been firmly in that tier two where it just hasn't quite been able to get over that hump. I still don't know that I see that really ever changing, but I do. I mean, I think it's better for the big 10, you know, I think naturally, I mean, Ohio state fans are going to enjoy, you know, seeing what's happening at Michigan right now, seeing what's happening at, at Penn state. But I think just overall for big 10 and college football as a whole, I think it's better when all of those teams are good. And if only one of those three teams is good, I think that does hurt the Big Ten just from a conference-wide standpoint. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting place that the Big Ten finds itself because I'm not really sure who's supposed to be that. 
I'm not really sure who's supposed to be the second team. Um, and, and I think that you do separate the Big Ten East and West a little bit because, you know, Ohio State's only playing the East teams every single year. Like maybe it gets a little interesting when in 2022 Ohio State starts playing against Wisconsin every single year. Like I think that that that's going to be an intriguing addition to the schedule for the for the foreseeable future there. Um, but until then, man, I don't know. This Big Ten East, like if Indiana is supposed to be Michigan State, like that's that is that's you know that's interesting. And I think you know I, I think I mentioned to you on Monday like. If I were a football player, like I would want to play for Tom Allen. <laughs> like he just seems like that kind of guy. But Indiana's not supposed to be better at Michigan and Penn State. Like these, and it's it's not as talented. It will never come close to being as talented as Ohio State. Like Michigan and Penn State can can be as talented, or, or be close to as talented as Ohio State, and be good at football. Right now, they're only you know semi close to Ohio State in talent, and they're bad at football. <laughs> and for the Big Ten, that just means it's Ohio State and everybody else, which is not a bad thing for everybody listening, but I do wonder how that's going to affect the conference in the long term. Yeah. I mean, I think it's too early to say whether anything Indiana is doing is sustainable. I mean, I think yeah. we'll see. We'll I find mean, out a lot this weekend. My guess is it's not sustainable in terms of a year to year thing, but I think we just don't know that yet. Um, both in terms of this season and after this season, I think we just don't know that yet, whether this is something you know, whether they can, you know, make themselves a, you know, second tier, you know, third tier kind of team in the Big Ten or whether they're just going to go right back to being that, you know, middling team. You know, I think uh, I think we'll see on that. But I think if we if if we if we go back now just just to this week's game and, and we talk about, you know, like you said, like if we're going to learn a lot this weekend. And it's not very often that you see a matchup between two top ten ranked teams where one team is favored to win by three touchdowns. But that's where we're at this week. What were your thoughts when you saw that spread, Colin? Do you think it's where it should be? Yeah, it's one of those things where my eyes sort of widened, and I was like, hmm, that's that's a lot of points. And then you think about it, and it's like, well, I mean, are you going to take Indiana? Are you going to think Ohio State's going to continue doing what Ohio State's done? And I, I don't, I don't know. I think that I think maybe twenty-one is a little bit bigger than I would have had it at, um, especially considering we haven't really seen Ohio State play a, a really full four-quarter game the way that Ohio State's going to need to to win a national championship. I think that that's that's one of the things that you know makes me wonder about that line. But if we're talking about like my confidence level for a win, my confidence level for a win is really high. Like three touchdowns is still a lot. Like, like we talk, we we've talked about Indiana not having as much talent, but I do think that there are, there are some good players on both sides of the ball on this on, on this Indiana team. Like it, this Indiana team isn't a joke or anything. Like they're not someone that you can just look over. Um, but there's a reason it's there that Ohio State's a three touchdown favorite, and and it does come back to that talent. It comes back to Justin Fields. Like it comes back to the fact that we talk a lot about Michael Penitz being interesting and being the biggest test. Yet he's not even close to Justin Fields. Yeah, I remember, I think it was Saturday night, I think I saw a tweet from uh, Austin Ward from Letterman Row where he predicted the game would be a 21-point spread. And when I first saw that in my head, I'm thinking like, 21 points? That seems like a lot. And it turned out he was actually exactly right. And then if, if you look at the spread even as of Tuesday night, I checked on Bavada and it was 20 and a half. So the line really hasn't been bet down at all since it started. And I do. I think it makes sense when you start thinking about it. Because here's the way I look at it. I would not bet on Ohio State to cover. I'm, just, I'm not betting on a team to cover a 21-point spread against 
the ninth ranked team in the country. But when I do my score prediction for this game, it might be 21 points or more because I do think Ohio State should be able to win this game by 21 points or more. I'm not overly confident that Ohio State will win by 21 points or more. Like you, though, I am confident Ohio State will win this game. I think it would be a big surprise if Ohio State didn't win this game. It'd be, it would be a huge letdown to what Ohio State's supposed to be and what this season's supposed to be. Now, I still think we're going to learn something about Ohio State this week. I think this is by far the best team Ohio State has played, and it might be by far the best team Ohio State plays until the Big Ten Championship game. But I think if the Buckeyes come out and play the way they're supposed to play, it shouldn't be a particularly close game. Welcome to Columbus, where you face the number ninth ranked team in the country, and it's not supposed to be a close game. But I agree. And, even, and like, I'm just like, like, here's the reality. If this Ohio State can go, if they can go out, they can beat Indiana. And if it's a close game, half the storylines after the game are going to be about the things that went wrong. Because that's, like you said, that's, that's life in Columbus right now. So you mentioned that I took one of your three things that you've been thinking about this week, which is our aptly named segment where we talk about three things that we think. But I hope that uh, I hope that either you found a replacement or it's still worse because you're you're gonna bat lead off for us. Well, you didn't take my first one, and let me and I'll go back because we we kind of skipped ahead to Indiana before I got to a question from Seattle Linga, but it ties into what my first thing I think is gonna be anyway. So I'm just gonna tie it in now. And he said, "It seems that Ohio State is taking the approach to this virus very seriously. Have you gotten the impression that other schools are not taking it as seriously, Ohio State?" I don't really have a great answer to that question because I, I've certainly followed what Ohio State's doing more than other schools. But here's my thing that I think. Maryland did not cancel the game because it was scared to play Ohio State, and no one else is going to cancel a game for that reason either. Everyone wants to play, and the notion that teams are canceling games or they're going to cancel games because they're too afraid to play Ohio State is stupid. <laughs> and that's mostly my thought on that is – you know, Maryland, the decision that Maryland made was made by the athletic director and the president and public health officials based on what they felt was the best course of action after eight players tested positive. And I think some of the narrative out there is just stupid that this idea that, you know, Maryland, you know, they didn't want to take the loss. So that's why the game didn't want to play. I, I, I am hundred percent confident that Maryland wanted to play that game. I mean, Maryland had just won two games in a row. They had some momentum. I mean, people, there were people, Ohio state fans who were nervous about that game. I mean, there was talk about, you know, maybe there's a slight chance of an upset here. So I think Maryland absolutely wanted to play that game. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think, you know, Maryland just made a tough decision here. And I do understand some of the consternation out there about, you know, if Maryland didn't actually trigger the, the thresholds that would force them to cancel a game, why are those thresholds in place if games are being canceled without them? I understand that, but at the same time, you can't tell a team, no, you can't cancel a game if you don't think it's safe. I'm sorry, but you just cannot do that in the height of a pandemic that right now is getting worse. 
you cannot tell a team, no, sorry, you can't cancel this game, even though you don't think it's safe. Teams, schools have to be given that latitude to make that decision. And it sucks in this case that Ohio State was the victim of that. It does sound like at least the Big Ten has taken the step to where if multiple games get canceled in a week, that it would allow teams to you know, schedule and play each other and at least give them that flexibility. So I think that's a positive step. But you, you, can't, you can't just force a team to play in this environment. You just can't. And I know, you know there's some talk about you know, whether it should have been a forfeit or not. You know, I, I get that from an Ohio State fan's perspective. I also don't think if the tables were turned that Ohio State fans would be saying that. You know, if Ohio State suddenly has 10 positive tests, are Ohio State fans going to say that, oh, they had to cancel a game? Uh, they should get a forfeit that will now give them that one loss that will almost certainly eliminate them from a playoff? I don't think so, and I also don't know how much it, it really matters. I think our, our colleague Kevin Harris made that point the other day that, you know, is the playoff committee going to – if Ohio State – had that win over Maryland and was nine and zero at the end of the year instead of eight and zero, is the playoff committee actually going to look at Ohio State different, or are they going to look and say, "Well, that game was a forfeit, so it doesn't really count"? I would guess the latter. All fair points, and I, you know, I I largely agree with what you said. I think you know I was on a radio show at some point, you know, last week I think it was, and I was sort of asked about that, and I think that. You know, I was asked in almost a way that, you know, I was supposed to say that it was a bad thing that Maryland did this. But my sort of thing is like, are Ohio State fans supposed to tell Maryland how to protect its players from coronavirus? Right. Like, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know why that's Ohio State fans' jurisdictions. And I don't really know why that should be what Ohio State does. Like, if, if Maryland didn't feel comfortable con- with the containing of COVID-19 within its team, it's an understandable decision and yeah, it, it, it sucks, but you made the, you made the right point, which is uh, Ohio state fans might want to watch themselves before watch yourselves before you start going and, and saying that that should have been a forfeit because you just never know. You never know. And, and, you know, to, to Seattle Lingus point, it's very clear that Ohio state is taking this virus seriously, but this is a virus. Like this is COVID-19. Like you can't, you can't guarantee yourself safety. Like you can take all the right protocols and things can still happen. One person can make a mistake. There can be a bad test reading. Like things, things can happen. So, you know, it, it it's terrible for you know all involved. But you move on. And one additional point on that, like it sucks that Ohio State didn't get to play. You know, we're all disappointed about that. But isn't it better to not play that game? And to have played that game and then as a result of that game Ohio State end up with a COVID outbreak and then be able to unable to play this week you know I mean, those are the things that have to be factored in here too is that if a team is canceling for this reason it's not just for its own safety the, 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 the safety of the opponent is being factored in here too and I'm not saying that if Maryland had played the game without those players that Ohio State's players necessarily would have been an increased risk but the fact that Maryland canceled the game suggests that that was what they were worried about so you know I think those things got to be remembered here too that you know 
you know, just be, you know, it could be spread during a game. So if a, if a team is not confident that it doesn't have COVID-19, that it, you know, if a team isn't confident that it, it can play safely and that it doesn't have a lot of COVID-19 cases in its team, you don't want your team to be playing that team. Very fair. So to move on from COVID-19 on a perfect transition, um, I'm going to have two college basketball things that I've been thinking about almost mainly because we didn't talk any college basketball and I feel like I should. And the number one thing is I have no idea how college basketball is starting next week. This podcast is getting posted on a Wednesday. Ohio state is supposed to open the season in seven days against Illinois state. If you go to their website right now and you look at their, their, their schedule, you click on that. There are four games listed. The only reason we know they're playing Illinois state is because Chris Holtman went on a radio show um, I think on Monday morning and told the host that that's who they're going to play. And you know what he said? This is, this is hilarious to me. He said that he was asked the question, when are you going to finalize the schedule? He said in the next week and a half, the season starts in a week and a half. Like what, what is happening in college basketball? I thought that answer was one of the funniest answers I've ever heard. It's like, yeah, I certainly would hope on your season opener you have your non-conference schedule figured out because if not, that would be a real tough position to be in. I, I, You know, for all the difficulty to get this college football season off the ground, I don't have a freaking clue how this basketball season is going to happen. I really don't. I mean, the numbers keep on spiking throughout the country. If you, Say if you have one case on your team of, of a positive COVID-19 athlete, in football, it's that you know, depending on the player, it can be a really big deal but they're 85 scholarship players. You can play through it. Like you, you, you would sit that person out and as long as it doesn't spread, hopefully then, you know, you're okay for a basketball team. If one person gets COVID-19 that changes everything. Like there are teams across the country who are shutting down right now because they have one positive COVID-19 case. And I'm just saying like, if that's going to be the case going forward, this, we are in for an absolutely insane basketball season. And I just, I can't get over the fact that we're seven days from the season starting and I have no idea who's going to be their game two or game three. Yeah, I mean, do we even know, like, we don't even know a game time for the season opener. We don't, we don't, we you know what's think funny? it's at we Value don't know City the, Arena, but we don't know that it's going yeah, to be. We don't know the location. He didn't say the location. So I, I think it's in Columbus. I assume it's at the shot. I, I haven't confirmed that. I don't know. And like, not even just we don't have a schedule from Ohio State. We've received no guidance from the Big Ten on, like, not the cancellation policies. We don't know if fans are going to be allowed. I'm assuming no, but that has not been said one way or the other. I mean, we don't know if we're going to be allowed to go. I mean, yeah. are media going to be allowed? We have no – none of these things have been communicated to us a week before the season. So and You know what's amazing? Like, the head, like, it seemed a few months ago that they were in a great spot. The Big Ten head coaches were talking twice a week all of them. And like, they, it just seemed like, you know, you get all these people talking, powerful people a long time from the season, like they can figure this out. Right. As we get closer, it's clearly just a complete mess. I mean, the big 10, we're a week from the season starting. The big 10 hasn't released a schedule yet, a conference schedule. Like I, I know behind the scenes, like they know details, like it's going to be a 20 game schedule, whatnot. They still haven't released it. Like that's crazy to me. That, that, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I just can't believe that this is actually going to be rolled out this way because it just feels like it's a jumbled mess. And, and, you know, I am kicking myself because I'm like, you know, we, we talk so much about the difficulty of getting everybody on the same page for football where there are five power conferences. 
there are over 350 D1 basketball teams. Like, this is a mess. This is a complete mess. And, and I just, there aren't many great answers. I think the hope, I, in fact, I know the hope, is that when everybody goes home for, for Thanksgiving and then people don't come back to campus, that, you know, teams aren't dealing with outbreaks, teams aren't dealing with positives because students are away from campus and the only people on campus are the athletes. And there's hope that, you know, Ohio State and, and other teams throughout the country will be, you know, there's a, there's a window there, a, a month, a month and a half, where they can get the season off the ground and shoot. If you get the season off the ground, you're going to make your way to the NCAA tournament one way or another because the NCAA, NCAA will make sure of that. I just have no idea how this thing's going to happen. I, I really don't. But that last point is exactly what it is. is it's, it's all going to be about just trying to get through this season and get to the NCAA tournament. There's going to be lots of cancellations. It's going to be chaotic, schedule changes, all kinds of different things that happen. But the goal is just going to be to, you know, get this thing through a season, get to the NCAA tournament. And I said before that I don't envy the college football playoff committee. I really don't envy the NCAA tournament selection committee, who's going to have to somehow find a way to compare the resumes of 350 teams when some of them could play 27 games and some of them could play 10, depending on how this thing shakes out. Dan, so Ohio State's going to play a 27-game schedule. Dan Gabbitt, who's in charge of NCAA basketball, goes on I, – I, I, I guess he was having a, a press availability. I didn't know about it on Monday. He says there is a minimum of 13 games you have to play, but if you're below the minimum – and this is to get into the NCAA tournament – if you're below the minimum, then you can apply for a waiver. Dude, if you're below 13 games in a season, like – what happened? Like something went horribly, horribly wrong along the way. I, I mean, if they're preparing for that kind of year, like what are we doing? Like, how is this, how is this the plan that they came up with, which is no plan at all. I don't know. I don't know. I think this, I mean, it's just a mess. It's, a it's mess. 2020. It is. It is. And set this one's going to lead into 2021. So what a thrill. All right, you go. Sorry, all right. I, I really got my heart rate up. All right. I already know your response. Cause we talked about it before the show and you, t- you already said it earlier, but I didn't respond. So it was on my list. So I'm just going to bring it up because I wanted to call back to the fact that Gin and Juice asked us about this a few weeks ago. And I think both at the time were like, no, there's no way James Franklin's on the hot seat if he loses to Ohio State. And I know that's still the way you feel. They're 0-4. And not only that, but they're going to miss out on the top 10 recruits in Pennsylvania in the recruiting class of 2021. So I'm not saying James Franklin's going to get fired this season. I don't think that's going to happen, especially not in this weird year. But the way Penn State is playing right now and the struggles that they're also having on the recruiting trail, I think James Franklin's seat should be warming up a little bit here. I mean, I I think there should be some more pressure on him for next year. I mean, I think if, you know, he gets through this year, if he gets back to next year and Penn State gets back to where it's been, you know, second best team in the Big Ten, then he's going to keep his job. But, I mean, I mean, what's happening there is not good. I mean, we talked about before, the, the gap in the Big Ten. I mean, to me, Penn State's been that one team that's been right there just a little bit below Ohio State the past few years. And right now, you know, they're, they're nowhere even close to that. And I think the way their recruiting is going for 2021 – I, I, I don't think they're going to have a good chance of closing that gap next year. Yeah, I think that that's a, that's a fair point. So you're right. I don't think that James Franklin should be on the hot seat. I think that – I think we're going to – you're going to find that we agree more 
more than you think. It's just I'm not ready to put him there. And I think you're projecting something that's coming. And I think it's fair to project. And I think he will end up there. I'm just not ready to put him there yet. I want to see it happen first. And that is like this this year's already a mess. Like there's I don't know. Like there's no way I'm gonna look back in four weeks and say, "Wow, this thing got way worse." Like I'm already expecting a disaster. They're zero and four. Like this thing isn't gonna go off the tracks any further. It's already off the tracks. But you have to, if you're James Franklin, you can't go. You can't go winless again next year. Like the the idea is okay. If you if you have a horrific 2020 season, like you can make up for that by coming back next year and having a good year. You can get yourself back on the track. I don't think he should be on the hot seat for one bad year. But clearly, if they have another atrocious 2021 season, and we've seen the recruiting in the 2021 class, like there's not a whole lot of help coming. Yeah, then he goes on the hot seat. I, I'm just not ready to put him there after one year because, like, if you do look at what he's done, like the prior four years, they won 11 games three times, tied for first in the East once. And the other season, they won nine games. Like, that's a, that is a solid little resume for Penn State. Um, and I'm sure Ohio State – I'm sure Penn State wants more than that. I'm sure Penn State wants to compete with Ohio State and compete for a playoff berth more than that. But I think what he's done is, is he's done a fine job there. He just can't let this thing go completely off the rails. Like, it can go off the rails for one year, but he has to get it back on the rails, like, next year immediately. Um, and I think that the skepticism on your part is very fair, and I have it too – I'm just going to wait for the thing to fall off the track before I put him there because he's going to end up on the hot seat one way or another. If the thing falls off the tracks next year, I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait for that thing to happen. Yeah. He has done well enough that he deserves a mulligan year. I absolutely agree with that. My second thing I've been thinking about, um, I guess I'll, I'll stick with basketball. I'll go two basketballs in a row. They're, they're, they're different. Um, so Roddy Gale, I think that we mentioned him and I did a really poor job at hinting that he was going to commit um, <laughs> because I'm not sure how I'm supposed to hint that he's going to commit when I have talked to him um, about committing, but nevertheless, he committed to Ohio state. Um, and I think the number one thing about the Roddy Yale commitment is not, you know, him in particular and what he's going to bring, but it's more so a commentary on what Ohio state needs to do going forward. Because I don't think that – I think that Chris Holtman's recruiting has been fine so far. I think you can say it's been good. Like, he has done a very good job in the state of Ohio. You know, they landed Beachy Johnson early. They locked down Kalen Etzler as early as possible. And then they won a big recruiting battle for Malachi Branham. Like, that is a, that is a really solid 2021 class. And then you look at it and you think, you know, what, what have they not been able to do? They haven't been able to secure a big man. You know, they're in contention for some – elite big men like Chet Holmgren, Charles Bediaco, and, you know, the number one guy for at least a year, Efton Reed. Um, I think that that's one thing that, you know, he needs to, he needs to finish on. Um, and I think that that's a fair critique. So I think he's been good. I think he's been solid. I think the 2020 class with Zed Key and Eugene Brown is maybe a little bit underwhelming, but I also think that, you know, Ohio State's coaches really like those guys for a reason. It's because they're going to be around for, for a few years and they're going to be the kind of guys who are going to be long-time contributors up, up until their upperclassmen. I think that they can be helpful. But the thing that they need going forward are the Roddy Gales. They need the out-of-state guys who aren't five stars, but they're really good. They need to go beat Virginia and Syracuse and West Virginia and Illinois and Indiana and Michigan and those, those kind of programs. And they need to beat them 
for out-of-state guys because that's what they did with DJ Carton and EJ Liddell. And that's what they've done here with Brody Gale. I know, you know, right now he's not a top 50 guy nationally. I think the composite has him at number 76 overall, but that's, you know, that's just misleading because if you actually look at what he is on, on rivals and two, four, seven, he's 54th overall on both of those two services. And, you know, ESPN only has the top 60 guys ranked and he's not among them. So somehow he's 76. I don't really understand it, but he is a, he is a legit top 50 guy. Um, from out of state and Ohio State went into New York and beat Syracuse for him. like these are the kind of guys that Ohio State has to win recruitments for going forward and I think you know I think this is a really good sign for them and their recruiting and their backcourt recruiting in particular because you know he's he's maybe not a traditional guard he's maybe more so of a, of a two three uh, a guard wing type um, but but he's going to be important going forward and I think that those are the kind of guys that, that they're going to have to land whether it's New York Pennsylvania West Virginia Illinois Michigan Indiana, all those neighboring states, those are guys that Ohio State's going to have to win. What do you think it was that ultimately led him to choose Ohio State over those other schools that were recruiting him? Yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, it's just Jake Diebler. Like, I think I think this is just a, a masterpiece from Jake Diebler um, because, yeah, Syracuse had the advantage. You know, Syracuse was the early favorite. They were a favorite for a long time. Um, but Ohio State – you know, they, they, they looked, well, I, honestly, it was Jake Diebler and also luck because they got extremely lucky because they got him in for a visit in March and he absolutely loved the visit and his inability to go visit anywhere else during the entirety of the rest of the spring and summer made it just that like, why not pick Ohio State for him? You know, he, he saw the opportunities. He saw the guys in the backcourt who are going to be leaving over the next few years had a great relationship with Jake Diebler. He had been to Ohio State, unlike some of the others that, that were recruiting him. And honestly, it's just that it was it was a perfect fit. So I'm I, you know, I think Jake Diebler is gonna be important for that. Ryan Peden's gonna be important. Chris Holtman's gonna be important. I think those those are the three main recruit main coaches when it comes to, you know, landing these these out-of-state recruits. And I think it's a it's a good sign um for Jake Diebler to have this kind of success because you know he was integral and in, in the Eugene Brown commitment last year and also Zed Key you know he's been he's he's been a little bit of an ace recruiter thus far I feel like the podcast listeners need to know this didn't you tell me that Roddy told you that the shot was the loudest place <laughs> he had ever been for the Ohio State Michigan game I'm so glad you brought that up because I forgot and there are some people who have don't care at all about basketball recruiting and are tuning out, but this needs, this will bring people back in. Cause it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I was on the phone and he was explaining his visit and, and, you know, what, what he really liked. And he was like, the atmosphere was just incredible. You know, the shot was the loudest place I had ever been. And I about dropped the phone. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, the ever that's unbelievable. But you know, he picked the perfect game, which was Ohio state, Michigan and Ohio state won by double figures, which is, you know, if you're going to go to the shot, go to the shot for that one. I mean, it was a sellout too. Yeah, there's been a lot of jokes about how if there's no fans of the shot, it won't sound any different this year than it does during a typical season. But it is a little different for Ohio State versus Michigan. Ohio State versus Illinois State, I think it probably would have been pretty quiet anyway. Yeah, it's it's funny because, like, actually when the shot is loud, the shot's really freaking loud. It, it is. And, and I don't think it gets enough credit for that. Like when the shot's actually going, you're right. And when it's, when it's banging, like the shot, the shot is actually a good arena. The issue is when there isn't really a great game happen or there aren't, there isn't a sellout and people aren't so really into it. Like it is just dismal in there. And that's like at least half the games a year. 
uh, more. Yeah. Cause it's every, literally every game, unless they play a really high profile non-conference opponent until you get to at least mid January. All right. Another one that you already talked about before, but it was my favorite thing written down. So I'm just going to say it. I mean, if we assume that Michigan's not going to win out the rest of the way here, Jim Harbaugh's got to go after the season, right? Uh, correct. I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know how, you know, I feel like every year, like he's underachieved. People have been like, he's not on the hot seat yet. He's not on the hot seat yet. But I don't know how you could justify keeping him at this point. I mean, there's obviously a reason why his contract hasn't been extended. He's in the last year of his contract right now. So, I think we're I think probably, he has one. I think it's technically, I think he has one more. Doesn't he one, have one more? You, you're probably right this? about that. You're probably right about that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but either way, I know that his yeah, contract, great. Is, <laughs> contract has gotten to the point where typically you would have gotten an extension by now. And, and I just don't know how you could possibly justify, you know, keeping him, especially if, you know, if you don't think that he's going to beat Ohio state this year, which I don't, I mean, he could, but I don't, I'm not going to predict that right now. Uh, or ever. I yeah, I mean, I what mean, would have happened for you? To I mean, that. I mean, it'd be unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's got what one total win in in the two rivalry games since he's been there, and I mean, this year has just been an absolute disaster. And like, it's so funny to hear the analysis about Michigan because everybody's just like, "What's going on?" Like, they have the talent. Like, there's no reason that Michigan should be this bad. Mm-hmm. And that again, that's the anti-Tom Allen here. It, it goes back to coaching. If you're this bad in, you know, you know, I don't know what they are in a national composite, but I think they're like top 20 at least in terms of yeah. overall talent. There's just no excuse to be playing this badly with that kind of talent and to be underachieving year in, year out. I don't know who the savior is for Michigan. I think Colin's actually going to have a piece of 11 Warriors at some point this week, gauging Ohio State fans' answers on who would be – of the scariest candidates and I, I by and large agree with their answers. Uh, so we'll just let you all read that, but I just don't know how you could justify keeping Harbaugh at this point. I think you can't get worse than where they're at right now. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if there's a savior out there. I don't know if there's an urban Meyer out there swooping in to save Michigan right now, but I just think that the way things are going right now, it's gotta be the end of the line. To put this into perspective, so you you mentioned the piece. You know, I, I asked as many Ohio State fans as possible to to fill out this survey with thirty names of you know Ohio State or or potential Michigan coaches, and you know it spanned it, it spanned a lot of people. You know, there were some people who were entirely reasonable and some people who were reaches. But I also included Jim Harbaugh, and in terms of and it was a one to ten ranking, and it was you know. How nervous does this coach at Michigan make you as an Ohio State fan? Jim Harbaugh finished dead last. His average vote was 1.86. And I think that that's emblematic of where the Michigan program is right now. You could pick any of the other 29 candidates on this list, including Buffalo's coach, Wake Forest coach, Les Miles, Mel Tucker. You could pick any of these guys. Alex Grinch, right? Yeah. Alex Grinch was hiring him. You could pick any of those guys, and Ohio State fans would feel more nervous. And I think that that is pretty telling about where they are as a program, and that like the Buckeyes have no reason to fear Michigan at all. And you're right; like it's funny because I think a year or two ago, 
like our old friend Ari Washerman was talking about the talent gap between Ohio State and Michigan, which, you know, that exists. It doesn't exist to the extent that Michigan should be a sub-500 team in the Big Ten. Like, it exists in the fact that Ohio State should beat Michigan, but Michigan should be one of the one or two best teams in the Big Ten. And, and you know, you mentioned the talent composite. Michigan's 17th right now. You know, if, if you're one of the 20 most talented teams in the country, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have this kind of year. I mean, this is – they're a complete mess. And, and you're right when it's – when Jim Harbaugh has one more year on his contract – you're in a weird place because how are you supposed to extend him? <laughs> like, but also you can't just let him go into his last year. Cause you can't recruit with a coach who has no, no years on his contract beyond the one he's coaching. So I don't know. They're, they're, they're a mess and, and they need to move on, which I agree with. And yet they're somehow getting crystal balls for a pair of cornerbacks who are ranked in the top 10 overall prospects in the country right now. Yeah. Shout out to them. I don't understand that one, but. If we're talking about Jim Harbaugh like this, then maybe Ohio State fans shouldn't worry too much about them. All right, Colin, you can wrap it up. All right, my last thing I've been thinking about, which, you know, I haven't been thinking a ton about it, but I was reminded earlier today. um, I still don't have any clue how this year of eligibility is going to play out. Like, I don't understand. I don't know who's going to be back and who's not and how that's going to affect the 2021 class and, you know, how, how active Ohio State will be in, you know, telling people, you can't come back or telling people we want you back or whether that makes them active at all in, you know, the, the, the market for either transfers or recruits at, at the signing day in February. I don't really know. I think it's going to be weird and pretty clearly nobody wants to answer those questions right now. Um, And it's, I I just feel like we're going to get to the end of the year and it's going to be like, so there are 20 guys who can return. Like, are any of them or a lot of them? I have no clue. Like, I, I really don't. Yeah, I just keep thinking about, like, how, like, what it's going to be like for us. Because usually it's like, okay, the season ends and, like, there's a list of five or six guys or whatever. And we're kind of waiting to see, like, okay, are they going to come back or going to stay? Now this year, like, that list is going to be so much bigger because you've got to add all the seniors to it, too. You know, and, and some of them, it's not going to be a hard decision, I don't think. But there's going to be a bunch of them. It's like, okay, are they coming back? Are they not? I mean, the, the, the one thing that I've taken away the last few times Ryan Day has been asked about it is he seems very confident that Ohio State is not going to be over 85. Extremely so confident. that would tell me that Ohio State players are not going to be encouraged to stay for that extra year of eligibility. I'm not saying they're going to be forbidden from it, but it it tells me that Ohio state is not going to be encouraging guys to be six year seniors that, uh, you know, I, I don't know how, I I don't know how it's going to work in terms of, you know, whether they're going to have to get Ryan day's approval to come back, how that's going to work. But you definitely get the sense from Ryan day that he expects guys to still finish their careers on their normal timelines. And, to continue to bring in, you know, full recruiting classes every year without, you know, going over. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out. I think that's going to be one of the biggest storylines we're going to be covering once this season is over uh, in terms of what the roster management is going to look like for 2021. But, you know, that is the one thing you you get the sense that, that Ryan Day, he doesn't expect a lot of guys to be sticking around for that extra year. 
Yeah, it makes me wonder if there are going to be any transfers after the year. You know, guys who want well, to play other another season. Is... Yeah, guys who want to play another season, but, you know, Ohio State doesn't really have room for them. And Ohio State was always planning for them to, to leave. And, you know, if you're a, you're a backup long snapper, but you want to play somewhere else, like that's – I think the transfer market's going to be completely flooded. Well, it's not just that, but there's also the fact that they come January, most likely everyone's going to have a free transfer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be part of Ryan Day's equation here too, is that he could be anticipating more underclassmen transfers than they've had in the past too. So roster management is about to get really interesting in 2021. There is no question about that. Interesting is definitely a word you could use to describe it. Well, interesting has been a word we could use to describe a lot of things uh, in 2020. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, whether it's college football, college basketball, uh, free agency in college football, whatever Top you want. Indiana. Yeah. That, I think that's the first thing is uh, we've got an interesting game coming up this weekend. So we'll be back next week on real pod Wednesdays to talk about that because uh, I think regardless of how this weekend goes, we're going to learn something about the Buckeyes. It's, it's a big game. We expect Ohio state to win, but it's still a top 10 game. It's still the best team Ohio State has played this year and probably will play for another month. So tune in on Saturday, and we hope you tune in next week uh, to hear us talk some more Buckeye football and the start of Buckeye basketball season, and who knows what else will happen between now and then. Because as we learned last week, it's 2020. We just hope that the things we talked about in this podcast will have a shelf life of more than three hours unlike our Maryland preview next week. So uh, thanks again for listening in and we'll talk to you again soon.